shot and a great save by Dane St. Clair. Shot by Matt DeRosa, and it's in! Matt DeRosa puts the Terps up 1-0. Staden coming forward now, he had two last week. He winds up the left-footed shot, it sneaks into the bottom corner. Bin outside the box, a shot with the right foot, and it's in! Paul Bin wins it for the Terps! Now Sadich plays inside the 18, the shot, and a goal for the Terps! Leaves it for Herbe, cutting it back to the middle, and it's in! Paul Bin gets the goal for Maryland. Elney has the room, he shoots it in! Maryland has a 1-0 lead on the goal from the senior, Sebastian Elney. Eli Cronali, the deep free kick, sent into the box now. Herbe there, the back post, and it's through the legs and in! Donovan Pines is claiming it as the 6-5 man does a cartwheel on the far side, doubling Maryland's lead. And that'll do it! Maryland's California dream have become a reality. For the first time in a decade, the Terps are national champions. Ladies and gentlemen, get on your feet and welcome your Ludwig Lowdown, featuring Brendan Hartlove and Joe Malfa. Welcome into the very first edition of the Ludwig Lowdown, our Maryland men's soccer podcast here on WMUC Sports Radio. I'm Brendan Hartlove, joined here in the studio by Joe Malfa. And this is the first time we've ever done something like this, so it's still kind of in the, the trial run. But we're very excited. We've been working very hard to pull this together, working with the team and with our staff at WMUC Sports Radio. And we hope it's something you enjoy. So all throughout the season, we are going to be recapping the Maryland men's soccer games, previewing the upcoming ones. We'll have interviews with players and coaches, maybe some former players, people connected to the team. And then we will obviously talk about some of the Terps playing the professionals and the national teams. Pretty much your one-stop shop for all things Maryland soccer. And uh, if you don't enjoy it, then just like seriously let us know. Because like we said, this is the first time we're doing this and we're taking all of your feedback and running with it. We obviously kind of have something in mind for what we want this to be and we want it to be very entertaining, informative, but... The first couple, you know, we'll find our way. I'm sure we will. Um, but your feedback will obviously be very, very helpful in that. So if you hate this, tell us why. <laughs> if you love it, eh, a pat on the back is nice too. So reach out anyway. Yes, you can find <laughs> us on Twitter at WMUC Sports, myself at BeHeartLove, and you are? I am at MalphaJ98. Okay, and then obviously you can email us at WMUCSports at gmail.com as well. We want everybody's feedback, so please reach out. So we talked about kind of what we want this to be. Let's First of all, I'd like to say a big thank you to Bob Johnson for helping us record our intro and some bits and pieces throughout as well. Bob has been the PA announcer at Ludwig Field for many, many years now. and so If I could have somebody narrate my life. It'd be Bob Johnson. Bob Johnson, absolutely. 100%. So we want to thank Bob very much for his help there. It was a detail that we wanted to include for all the Maryland soccer fans that have been coming to Ludwig Field for many, many years now. So now we can kind of begin with what we what we want to get into, and you can't talk about this season without going back to the whirlwind that was. Why, did something happen last year? Something happened last year, oh, Joe. A, okay. a, a little something. It wouldn't seem like that in the beginning, <laughs> considering Maryland went over 400 minutes to start the season without a goal. Things things were looking bleak for a little while. A lot of scoreless draws at the beginning. The defense held very strong. The defense that was, was, if the defense didn't hold as strong as it did as early as it did, there would have been no run because if a lot of those ties early on would have been losses, I don't think the stretch run would have mattered mm-hmm. with the deep run in the Big Ten tournament, with the win against Denver that when they were ranked number seven at the time. I don't think all those things would have mattered because instead of you know all those extra ties in the tie column, it would have been slid over to the loss column, and I don't think it would have worked to, to get them into the tournament. So mm-hmm. the defense, obviously a big tip of the cap for them to go the entire NCAA tournament without conceding. 
But not only that, at the beginning, keeping a lot of those ties as ties, the Virginia game sticks out at Audi Field. That was nil-nil. I mean, there's a lot of games like that at the beginning, and if it would have been one to nil instead of scoreless, those extra losses would have added up, and I don't think they would have even gotten to where they got at the end of the season into the stretch run and, and been able to make that tournament run. So beginning and end, big tip of the cap at the defense. And so you can pinpoint almost exactly in the season when things turned around. And it wasn't necessarily a game, a certain goal that was scored. It was more of a tactical adjustment from Sasha Sarovsky. And one thing that we wanted to do with this podcast is kind of tailor it towards a, a more soccer-knowledgeable audience because you see that becoming more prevalent in the U.S. with soccer obviously growing, and it's growing in fandom at the college level as well. So we do want to kind of get into some of the, the X's and O's a little bit of the game and just kind of break down the play styles and just get into the details. We want this to be a very detailed kind of thing. So when you look at last season, the change to moving to two holding midfielders in front of the back line from Sasha Sarovsky and Eli Cronali and Andrew Samuels. And I think it started... Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to remember back. I'm looking at the schedule from last year, too. I think the shift happened somewhere around after the Wisconsin 2-1 to overtime loss. Mm-hmm. Because after that, all right, they handled the Rutgers no problem. A big road win against a ranked team in Coastal Carolina. And they went from there. Lost to a ranked Michigan State team. Tied Georgetown. Lost on the road against a ranked Indiana team. But then from that point out, it was pretty much all wins with the lone loss being in the regular season 2-1 to at Michigan and then uh, in penalties to Indiana in the Big Ten Championship. So from that point on, it was smooth sailing for them. So that really, as far as a turning point, was after that Wisconsin game, when I think is when they officially made that switch. I don't really remember vividly the Rutgers game, but I remember the Coastal Carolina game, and I think it was already as early as that game that they were going to that double pivot at the back. Yeah, and I think it's something that had been kind of toyed with a little bit in in training and I think some adjustments in game but I think it was definitely around that time when Sasha made that adjustment and so having Andrew Samuels and Eli Cronally playing a little bit deeper allowed Amar Sadich to have the freedom to go and attack and be part of that offense with really kind of only the one center forward and the two wing players he was able to kind of fill that number 10 traditional playmaker role and contribute on offense both with goals himself and some assists so I think that that was kind of a big turning point and that's something that we're going to see continue into this season at uh, least at the start at, at least, least at, at the, the start. start that is the plan we talked with Sasha Sarovsky about that and that seems to kind of be how the lineup will shape up going into the season but obviously you get to the NCAA tournament a little bit of a surprise ranking there but they went the entire NCAA tournament without conceding a single goal which is a defensive anomaly, really, when you think about it, to go against some of the top competition in the nation, not just your conference, but across the country. And, I mean, you were going against top offensive teams, too. I mean, with the talent that teams like Indiana had and the firepower that teams like Akron had up front, uh, especially Kentucky as the number three team in the country on the road, they've got a guy who's pretty good now in the MLS who scored (laughs) a lot of goals last year. It was just clean sheet after clean sheet after clean sheet and if you go back to that roughly around the Wisconsin game as that turning point when they switched to that double pivot tactic all right they gave up one goal against Coastal Carolina two on the road against Michigan State then a clean sheet two on the road against Indiana clean sheet clean sheet the next two games were a little rocky it was two goals against Penn State one of them was an absolute stunner so yes. I'm not even going to get on anybody's case about that one at the buzzer of halftime no less yes you and I were on the call for we that were, game and I we were stunned confused as anything yes but <laughs> then you go to the, the Big Ten tournament another clean sheet against Michigan State 
one goal against Indiana, and then the tournament. So it's not even like it was, all right, they just turned it up for the tournament. They had already been shutting down top opponents ever since really they made that switch to the double pivot tactic, especially the Denver match. Andre Shinyashiki led the nation in goals last year, and they shut him down. Donovan Pines put him in his pocket. Pretty much a non-factor, yeah. So we don't want to spend too much time on last season. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that Maryland won the national championship out in Santa Barbara. That was the thing that I said happened. Yes, that was (laughs) the thing that Joe was referencing earlier in the podcast. And Joe and I actually kind of birthed this idea of the podcast in our hotel room in Santa Barbara when we were out there. Between all the trips to In-N-Out, there being an In-N-Out burger within five-minute walking distance from our hotel – was great for us in our stomachs. Cholesterol probably yeah. probably got to dangerous levels after that weekend. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too proud of because we the ate there nutrition. for we ate there for lunch and dinner. I'm pretty sure we had breakfast there one day too. We did. It was we like had, a, it was like a brunch. We did. We had a brunch there. So I think my count was I had five meals there. You had, with the I peanut had, allergy, you had yeah. a couple extra meals there yeah. too. So it, was, it, was, it was a safe option. It was a very safe option and a good one at that. So, And uh, just quick disclaimer, if you're going to continue to listen to this podcast, there will be several tangents and, I'm <laughs> sure, terrible, terrible puns along the way as well. But that's part of what we like kind of doing as student journalists. We have that yeah. freedom we'll to be to, a little We'll try looser. to be in and out of the tangents as well. That was, that, was a, that was a double whammy right there. That was a tangent and a terrible pun. But we digress. So Maryland beat Indiana in the College Cup semifinal, third time's the charm. They lost them twice earlier in the season, once in the regular season, once in the Big Ten tournament, both in the state of Indiana. And then Andrew Gutman was their left back, but also amazing attacking talent, signed by Celtic in the Scottish Premiership, and then was loaned to uh, Charlotte Independence, I believe, in the USL, and is now on loan to FC Cincinnati. So he's doing pretty well for himself, and that's something that was very easy to tell by watching him play for Indiana. A lot of members of that team now are, are doing really well at the next level in the MLS. I've got to see one of them uh, up close and personal a couple of times on the a defensive side, why am I blanking? Reese Buckmaster is with mm-hmm. the Red Bulls, Red Bulls now, yeah. and he's gotten a couple of stars recently. So that was a loaded team, and Maryland just came together and was able to get it done. I'm looking at the starting 11 from that game, Justin Rennick signed a homegrown deal with the New England Revolution. Griffin Dorsey, I believe, was drafted by Toronto FC. That's not fact-checked. And Jeremiah Gutjar also I want to say Chicago Fire on that one, but again, I, I don't have right. these think, in front of me. I think it me. was a fire. So yeah, and Trey Muse signed a the starting goalkeeper signed a homegrown contract with the Seattle Sounders. Yes. So a lot of talent in that starting eleven that is now producing at the next level yes. as well. And so a lot of turnover for them. We'll get to that in kind of our uh, Big Ten preview. But then they go and face Akron for the national championship. And Akron, a bit of a surprise to get there as well, but they were the giant killer in the tournament up, up until that point, taking down, I want to say, Wake Forest and Stanford both. It was a matchup of giant killers because while Maryland, I guess inherently given their history, is a quote-unquote giant, mm-hmm. not this past year. Yeah. I mean, they were one of the dark horses coming into the tournament, getting hot at the right time, uh, and they slayed number three Kentucky. They slayed number 10 Duke. They slayed number 2 Indiana to finally get there against Akron. So both teams really came in as giant slayers in the tournament. Akron, I believe, was unseated? Correct. They were one of the unseated teams. So Johannes Bergman won the penalty kick in the national championship. It was a high boot committed against him, and Amar Sadich slotted it into the bottom corner past Akron goalkeeper Ben Lunt to give Maryland the lead, and it was a lead that they held on to all the way through to the final whistle. And Maryland lifted their fourth national championship trophy, the third under head coach Sasha Swarovski. And it was kind of, it was an emotional scene afterwards because of how the season began and then obviously how it finished. And so after the 2008 national championship, Sasha Swarovski called that team the gold standard. And then talking to him 
after that game, he said, well, 2008 was the gold standard. This is going to have to be the platinum standard. Yeah. So it was really a remarkable run in 2018 for the Terrapins. And with a squad that talented, you had a lot that went on to play to the next level. So we'll transition kind of from 2018 into the players that Maryland lost from last season going into this year. And the first one that comes to mind is Donovan Pines, who was not a senior, did not graduate, but signed a homegrown contract with DC United after playing in their academy and is going on and has made several appearances. But he was the guy in the back standing at six foot five, won everything in the air and really kind of rounded out his game in his junior season to go on and play in the pros. You could argue that he's the biggest loss in terms of height and <laughs> in terms of importance, uh, but they lost the whole spine of the team. They lost Dane St. Clair in goal. They lost Diamond Pines in front of him. They lost Andrew Samuels at the CDM role. They lost Amar Sadish at the CAM role. So right there, all in a row, those four guys right up the spine of the team, they yeah. lost the middle of the team. Yeah. And that's tough to overcome, but this program does not – rebuild it retools mm -hmm. and there are plenty of guys who are there to step up uh, and we'll touch on them as we go along and the interview later on with coach he touched on a lot of those as yeah. well so they have replacements but it is obviously worth noting and you cannot go without noting it that they lost a lot from last well, you, year you got ahead of me a little bit i was going to go through and say everybody that maryland did lose so donovan pines obviously in the center of defense in goal dane st Clair, who over the past two seasons has been absolutely phenomenal, was drafted by Minnesota United, is making some appearances with their uh, USL affiliate currently. And that's a big loss in terms of leadership in the back as well as pure talent. And he made several saves time and time again to either keep Maryland in the game or to win them that and game. And the athleticism. I mean, the of all the saves he made last year, and there were a lot of them, Kentucky. the one that's Kentucky, that one sticks out the most. It was just a ricochet. I, I forgot, did it come off of Donnie? Andrew uh, Samuels. Samuels. One of them was tracking back. It was Samuels. And he, I don't know how he changed direction the way mm -hmm. he did and got a paw on that. Yeah. I was stunned. That was probably one of the most athletic saves I've ever seen at any level. Yeah. I don't know how he got his body to do what it did. It reminded <laughs> me of the save that Tim Howard made in the second half of the Belgium Belgium match game, yeah. where he was going one way, it deflected, and he somehow reached a paw up in that historic performance. That was the only other thing that went through my mind yeah. when St. Clair made that save. So it's not just the leadership and the pure skill. The athleticism, the size, yeah. it's, he had the total package, and that's why he got drafted where he did, and he is where he is now. And the reason that whenever people mention Zach Steffen, they're also now mentioning Dane St. Clair. Mm -hmm. And so to round out the losses on the back line, Chase Gasper, who uh, was the left back and transfer from UCLA, played two seasons with Maryland, two injury-troubled seasons at Maryland. And it was actually kind of interesting because when you get down to it, when Chase Gasper was out of the lineup, that's when Maryland struggled, especially in 2017. You could almost line up exactly when Chase got hurt and when the bad results start started and when Chase returned and when the bad results stopped. Yeah, it, it's you say almost line it up. It's not almost. It is exact. Like, as soon as he went out, yeah. they went down. As soon as he came back, they went up. You get into the center of midfield. Andrew Samuels was the holding midfielder. He was drafted by the Houston Dynamo. It's not made appearance for them, I believe, is with Rio Grande Valley FC uh, in the USL. Correct. Samuels will be a loss, but maybe not to the extent of some of the others. Correct. And then you move ahead of him, Amar Sadich, in that number 10 role. He is a creative loss, but 
we'll get into who could be the replacement for him, and it does seem to be kind of a like-for-like like change, but he was drafted by the Montreal Impact. I, mean, I don't believe he's seen the field yet for them either. I think he's with the Ottawa Fury in the USL. But he's a loss there, and then you move up top, Sebastian Elney playing with New York Red Bulls too. Now he was the center forward. He was that big game player, that, that number nine striker for Maryland for many years now. And so he will be offensive production. A to lot of big moments out of him. The UCLA overtime yes. winners, uh, the goals in the tournament against NC State and mm-hmm. Duke, and uh, Kentucky the winner, all off of his foot. So maybe there was a time in his career, especially early last season, when the team wasn't scoring and he wasn't really doing anything to help that. But when it was the most important time, he came through. So that's something that they have to replace. And also DJ Reeves on the wing as well. And so a loss to the team, but not by graduation, not by going pro. Paul Bin, who was the breakout player of last season, he tore his ACL in the very first day of preseason this year. And that is, from anybody's perspective, absolutely heartbreaking. Because if you don't know about Paul Bin's story, you need to look it up. Joe Catapano, a good friend of both of ours, wrote a story for the Diamondback about everything that Paul Ben has been through. And he suffered from depression for many years. He was from South Korea, moved to England to play soccer at a young age, away from his family, then moved to uh, Nevada to play for Real Salt Lakes Academy, again away from his family, and then to College Park. And he was in a very dark place and a lot of, I think Sasha said, mental anguish. And so he took a year out of the program to go home, kind of reevaluate, get himself to a better place, and came back and had an amazing spring in the tour over in England before last season and then came out and was really a fan favorite and an all-around great guy. And this game can be so brutally unfair to the nicest guys, the most hardworking guys. And coming up, Sasha was going to tell you exactly how that day went down and exactly what Paul's message to the team was. And it, it really is heartbreaking, and he will be out for the entirety of the season. We'll have the option to redshirt for next year, but really a, a big loss, especially on the wings for Maryland. Just a, a loss kind of in, in the locker room as well and a, a big hit to the morale. But we'll get into some of the players that will fill into his role. But if you haven't heard his story, look up the article that Joe Catapano wrote of the Diamondback, and it is a tremendous read and really one of those stories that makes you realize that there are so many things bigger than sports, and it it's a game. And there are so many things that people go through ahead of that. But a very touching story that I encourage all of you to go read if you haven't. And we're going to hear from Sasha about that in a little bit coming up. So I think that kind of gets us through the key losses, key holes that will have to be filled this year. We'll touch on some of the new additions real quick before we get to our interview with Sasha. And really kind of the biggest name coming in is not a freshman, but a transfer from Hofstra, Luke Brown out of Cambridgeshire, England. He is joining the team after playing on Long Island, and it's on. I know uh, that. It is, it is on, on, not in. Yes. And he also started against the Terps way back in 2016. Correct. And so just kind of pulling up his file, he had 16 goals and 8 assists in three years at Hofstra. He's a creative player, scored twice against Syracuse last season, including an absolute screamer from distance. 
and yeah, started twice versus Maryland in his freshman and sophomore season. So our men's soccer insider, Tom Hindle, who will feature on this podcast from time to time, did a very good write-up, his first article for us, about Luke Brown and what he's going to bring to the team, including some clips of his time at Hofstra and everything. So check that out on our website at wmucsports.net. But he is, from a traditional perspective, he is a forward, but Sasha was trying to transition him into that Amar Sadich role, the attacking midfielder. And that's going to take a little bit of time, but he definitely is a player that Terps fans should be excited about and can definitely kind of help produce that offense that that is lost with some of those players that moved on. And it's taken some time so far for him to click with that role and fully get into it and grasp it. But the one thing that Sasha keeps hammering home is the fact that he is in there every day asking extra questions, watching extra film, talking to the coaches more. He wants to figure this out and be the best he can in that role because he knows and the teammates know and the coaches know that he can be, like you mentioned earlier, I think you said a like-for-like switch with Sadich as long as he grasps the position. And there's uh, some different things that come with the position that will take time to grasp and he'll start to find his footing. I guess it's really tough to do so and in exhibitions when you're playing maybe a half or not a full 90 or in, in practice against your own teammates. But once he gets in there in a couple of actual games as the season begins tomorrow, I think he will have no trouble finding his footing and, and kind of just growing into the role. He's got a couple of uh, good tests early on. And we'll talk about the schedule later on a little bit more, but USF then already turn around Monday against Virginia, fly out west, UCLA, and then home against Akron. There's a lot of good early tests for him to start figuring out that new role. And the next addition to the team that we should touch on is a goalkeeper because really when you lose Dane St. Clair, you need to kind of have some cover. And so obviously Russell Shealy is still here. He was at the backup last year but did not see the field. Now incoming, you have Nicholas Newman, who is a freshman goalkeeper from Germany, played for KSV Hessenkessel in Germany and also spent multiple years in the youth setup of FC Kaiserslautern. And I'm really working on these, these foreign, these <laughs> foreign German terms. Not too, my, not too great. My German's not great. My French was better last year with William James Hervey being from Ici Le Moulinet, France. It's okay. a suburb outside of Paris. Anyways, Newman played for uh, Kaiserslautern's U19 and U17 squads and practiced with their Bundesliga squad as a youth player as well. And Sasha said he's an outstanding young goalkeeper and had some great experiences playing over in Germany, both the youth and senior levels. Notes his commanding presence and goal, very good at reading the game, organizing, and capable in distribution. So that is going to be an interesting battle that we're going to see set up. And I believe right now, as of the start of the season, I think the goalkeepers are going to probably split time as you enter the season between Sheely and Newman. That's how it was in the exhibitions, and I don't think Sasha sees a clear starter yet, and so you need to get both those guys' looks to try to see how they fit into the team. And it's something he's done in the past where he's rotated keepers early mm-hmm. in the season. It's just a question of will he rotate by half, will he rotate by game, because I feel like sometimes if you take a guy out at half, you can't really get your feet under you, misses with the rhythm. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting to see how Sasha views that goalkeeper battle going into the season. You have some other additions, a lot of freshmen coming in as well. Marcus Antoine is a freshman center back coming in from the Montreal Impact Academy, who has looked very good in preseason, some of the exhibition games. When you're trying to fill that hole from Donovan Pines, we think Brett St. Martin will be that starter, but having a little bit of depth there in Marcus Antoine, who I think in the last two years has torn two ACLs. And so obviously trying to get back and up to the speed of the college game 
takes a little bit of time, but he's played for the Canadian youth national teams. He has that experience and could be a good option for depth. We're not going to go through every new addition, but this is one I want to touch on because I think that this new addition may have the most impactful first season at Maryland. That's David Kovacic. He's a freshman midfielder from Slovenia. He's played in the Slovenian Premier League with N.K. Crisco. Made 55 appearances in the Slovenian First Division. So when you're getting minutes at that level of play. You're playing against men. You're playing against men. You're not playing against boys. You're playing against men. Correct. So that's that's big-time experience. He's not going to be afraid of anything when he gets out there. Yes, and so, I mean, Sasha noted that he is a seasoned and cultured center midfielder having those experiences at that level. He's playing for the Slovenian youth national teams as well. So he's a player that can fill in in a lot of roles in the center of the midfield. He's very versatile, but one thing is – He's probably going to play some of that Eli Carnale role because when Luke Brown comes out, what they've been doing in the preseason is moving Eli up a little bit to give him some looks there. And Kovacic can play either as the box-to-box or the destroyer, if you will, that true holding midfielder in front of the back line. And we've both been very impressed with what we've seen from him so far. And, I mean, obviously I'm going to trust a guy with almost three decades coaching this team over (laughs) what I saw in two exhibitions. Mm -hmm. But – I was wowed, and I mean, I don't know, again, how things are going in training and stuff, but from what I saw in the two exhibitions, Kovacic is, your, is one of your sixes, mm-hmm. and Cornelli goes up to the ten. Mm-hmm. Now, I know Cornelli's been stellar in the six going back to last season, too, but he seems like he wants to go forward and create, and the moments that he's been in the ten in the exhibition matches, he's looked really creative and really good. I would have no problem trusting Kovacic as one of the sixes, Richardson as the other six. He looked really good and comfortable mm-hmm. there and pushing Cornelli forward. Now, again, in a perfect world, Luke ends up getting comfortable in the role and being that 10 that they know he can be and they want him to be so Cornelli can stay in the six. But I loved, loved what I saw out of Kovacic. Yeah, and so, again, a lot of this tactical lineup stuff we're saying, some of this is speculation on our part. We've obviously watched the team a lot, and we've talked with Sasha, but this isn't exactly a scouting report right from Sasha's mouth. So this is us kind of making these judgments based on what we've seen in our limited And again, back to what I said, we're not three decades in charge of this team like Sasha is. So just because we thought this doesn't mean it's the right thing at all. Correct. So (laughs) We're not qualified to make that decision. But one person that is qualified is Sasha, and I think now is probably a good time to go to our interview with him. And I sat down with him just a few days ago in his office to talk about everything thing from a little bit last season to position by position this year and kind of the expectations. So now we'll go to our interview with Maryland men's soccer head coach Sasha Swarovski. So what better way to start a Maryland men's soccer podcast than sitting down with the man himself? I'm now joined by head coach Sasha Swarovski. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you as always. So obviously we can't talk about 2019 without talking about 2018. So it was uh, kind of up and down season for you guys, but you were able to turn around and lift the national championship trophy. Now you did that in 2005 and you did that in 2008. What have you learned from kind of the year after a title in terms of keeping that mentality with the team? Yeah, you know, I told our team as soon as we won, the one thing I haven't done in my career is um, gotten back to the college cup in the year after we won a championship and have a chance to compete in the final weekend. So that's clearly a goal of ours right away. We've come close. Uh, in 2009, we got to the quarterfinals after the 2008 title. In 2006, we, we lost in the Sweet 16, had, had a quite a good team, had um, an unfortunate rash of injuries, ran into a hot Bradley team. So that's clearly our goal is to get back to that weekend. Um, and I think, you know, in time, you, you, you recognize um, how important it is to 
uh, to be loyal to your process, to be loyal to the principles you believe in, to make sure that you don't allow complacency to set in with your players or your coaches, and also to remember the feeling of, number one, how hard you have to work, how the little details matter, and how gratifying it is to achieve this type of success. So um, we have some really talented kids, hungry kids, high-character kids who are back, and uh, our goal is to get better every game with the idea that if we can survive our schedule, we have a chance to maybe uh, make another run in the postseason. So obviously it's the case with every college sport at every school. There's always turnover. But this year the turnover might be a little more impactful with some of the guys that you lost. So we'll start in the cage because obviously Dane St. Clair for two years now was your mainstay yeah. in the back. He was phenomenal, statistically one of the best goalkeepers in the nation. Now no longer with us, he's in Minnesota's yeah. program. You have Russell Shealy and Nicholas Newman, two goalkeepers who are a little – different but how do you I'm not asking you to pick a starter obviously but what do you see as kind of the strengths and weaknesses of both of those players as you go into the beginning of the season well they're both reasonably inexperienced goalkeepers at the collegiate level Nicholas is a newcomer from Germany Russell was here last year obviously didn't play during a regular season he redshirted the year he had a very good spring so I think both of them are talented I think they're both going to improve I think they're going to push each other and I think in the end, if one of them wins the position, uh, we're going to have a pretty good goalkeeper in goal. What I like about both of them is that they are able to make the big save to either keep us in a game or to let us win a game. You know, th that's always a challenge for a Maryland goalkeeper, whether you're as good as Dane St. Clair or Zach Steffen. Sometimes in the course of a game, you may not get that much work. And then you have to be able to be ready for your moment to make a big save. And they're capable of doing that stuff. So we'll move up to the back line because some other key losses there. Chase Gasper and Donovan Pines, now two Major League Soccer starters, a big hit to kind of the continuity and chemistry of your back line. But you still have Johannes Bergman and Ben DeRosa, but you're losing some physicality. Chase and Donnie were both very physical players. How do you see the guys that are going to step into those roles trying to fill that void? Yeah, th those are uh, hard pieces to replace. Um, there's not many Donovan Pines out there and uh, not many Warriors like Chase Gasper. The one good thing for us is that because of Chase's uh, injuries from time to time, Matt DeRosa got a lot of opportunity to play as a left back and had a very good spring as a left back. So I think uh, we're, we're looking at Matt filling in that role differently than Chase, but in a very admirable role. Um, but Donovan's a big hole. And uh, Brett St. Martin had a good season for us last year. He played a little bit right back, center back, um, just different than Donovan. You know, when you have a secretary of defense and, and uh, someone with Donovan's speed and, and commitment to defending, that's really hard to replace. But I feel like Johannes Bergman has raised his level. I think Ben DeRosa has raised his level. Um, and now I think... Uh, guys like Brett St. Martin and Matt DeRose have a real opportunity to step in. And they also have, we have a little bit of depth as well now to support those guys in case we have some injuries. Uh, so I feel the back line is a good unit now, and I think by the end of the year it will become a very, very good, strong unit once again. So we'll move into the midfield now because as cliched as it is, the game is typically won in the midfield, and so a lot of turnover there as well, losing Andrew Samuels and Amar Sadich. So you have guys that it's pretty clear who's going to step into those roles for the most part, but you have to find a balance always. Yeah. And I think even in the middle of last season, you were still trying to find that balance, yeah. and that's when things clicked. So you have addition in Luke Brown, the transfer from Hofstra, but Nick Richardson, who was didn't see the field last year. How are you working on finding that balance in the chemistry between those players in the middle of the park? 
Yeah, so Nick Richardson uh, looks most likely to fill in the Andrew Samuels role. He's a lot of similar characteristics. He's got two good feet, a great heart, great engine, a versatile player that can play anywhere across the back line. But thankfully last spring, uh, we inserted him into the midfield with Eli, and uh, there seemed to be a nice chemistry, good balance between the two of them. Um, and we were very successful against some good opposition. So uh, that's the way we're looking to initially start the season with the two of them as the as our double pivot. So that looks good. Uh, the number 10 is a, is a position that we're going to experiment a little bit with. Um, Luke Brown is a very talented uh, attacking player, mostly uh, a striker that is now transitioning into the role of a midfielder. You know, we're going to see how that works out, but we have some other players that we can rotate into that role. But you're right. You know, we lost two starters at the back. We lost two starters in the midfield. We lost a starting goalkeeper. <laughs> um, so, so these are some pretty big holes to fill. But uh, Nick was an extremely talented player. Unfortunately, he caught an injury right before the season started and missed the whole season. So he's got four years to play for us. And uh, uh, this is a player that's going to become one of the heartbeats of our team, uh, not only this year, but for many years to come. You have the center of the midfield, but then the way you look at it is typically in that 4-3-3. So your wing players you consider forwards. Yes. And so obviously one of those forwards will not be with you this season. Paul been out yeah. with an ACL. I just want to touch on him for a second because yeah. after everything he's yeah. been through to now suffer this on the first yeah. day yeah. of training camp, yeah. what was his message to the team as soon as that happened? Well, it was uh, quite a remarkable day. Um you know, it starts with the heartbreak of, you know, halfway through the first morning session, he goes down with an injury. And, of course, you hope for the best, but you fear the worst. And as it took us time to get the MRI and all the diagnostic tests done, uh, midway through the afternoon training session, Paul learns that he's torn his ACL and the season is done. And, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of practice and my heart sinks. And I can see some of the players even go over to console him. And so we continue on with practice. And about 20 minutes later, Paul comes to the sideline walks up and says hey coach uh, can I, hey Sash can I talk to the team after I said Paul you can of course you can didn't know what he's going to say I've never seen anything like it in 27 years he walks up to the team and says look guys as some of you have heard I've torn my ACL and I'll miss the season and my first instinct was walk away and start feeling sorry for myself and woe is me and I stopped it because I promised myself as I went through my recovery of depression that I would never feel sorry for myself. It says, this is nobody's fault, and I'll get better to it. I, I have faith in everybody here. People will step up in this role. I'll be with the team the whole time. I'm going to come back stronger like I did before, and just, I just I wanted you guys to understand that I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. And my goodness, there, was, <laughs> there wasn't a, a, a dry eye. It, it, was, it was a special moment. And Here's a guy who's been through the despair of mental anguish to overcome it, who now knew how to win that moment and knew how to put this in the right place. And it, it made me as a coach feel awfully proud of his maturity, of him understanding uh, the moment, winning it, and, uh, and allowing us to move forward. So uh, unbelievable. So obviously Paul is a loss on the field as well as off the field, but looking on the field you're gonna have to you're gonna fill that yeah. void on one of the wings so you'll have William James Hervey who yeah. had a very strong yeah. freshman season but there's another open spot on, yeah. on that wing who are some of the players that you see fitting into that role I know Brian Padilla is yeah. one that we're kind of going to focus on but didn't have exactly the freshman season he wanted but what are you expecting from him come the start of the season yeah 
a little bit like Nick Richardson, Brian Padilla came in with an injury that was undiagnosed with his club team through uh, the spring before his, his fall season, so spring of 2018. And when he did come back, he wasn't really ready. Uh, in retrospect, probably should have registered him as well. Uh, Brian had a very good spring. Brian's a goal scorer. Uh, he's a terrific passer. Uh, again, I think he will continue to improve as the season progresses, and I think towards the end of the year will be someone that is uh, to be heard from. But, you know, when it comes to replacing Paul Bin, we don't have any player that can replace like for like. Uh, he, he's an incredibly energetic player with great speed and pace, uh, and he on both sides of the ball, he really knew how we wanted to play. So it's going to take a little while to figure that out. But I also, besides Brian Padilla, I'm looking for Justin Gielen playing a bigger role. Uh, Justin had a very good spring and a good summer. His improvement is noticeable. Uh, I think he's going to play a little bit in that uh, right wing role as well as uh, up front being someone that comes in for Eric Matsalevich and uh, and plays in that role. So uh, I, I think we still have... Uh, a lot of quality up there, even though we've lost an incredible amount. Um, I, I like uh, the pieces, and they're coming together. So you mentioned Justin Gillen kind of featuring on the wing as well as up top with Eric Matzlevich. They're two very different players, and now without Sebastian Elney, who is a big game player for you guys, as everybody's followed the team knows, there's some kind of strengths and weaknesses to both of them as well as you compare and mm -hmm. contrast them. What do you see from each of them as you go into the season? Well, Eric Matzlevich is a is a workhorse. Um, you know, he's already scored a couple of goals in some scrimmages in, in, in last spring, showed, showed his quality there. Uh, you know, he's been sort of waiting for a bigger role, and I think he's going to have an opportunity for that right now. I just think that um, generally our attack will take a little time to come together. Uh, you know, Will had an injury after the season, so he's just getting his, his groove. Brian Padilla's getting his uh, rhythm back. Luke Brown is trying to insert him into the way we want to play. Eric and Justin will, will feature prominently in different roles. Um, so I think once we get sort of that, that front five or six players in a good rhythm, I think we're going to be very good. I don't think there'll be any drop-off from what we had last year. But again, it took us some time last year, and I suspect it'll take us some time this year. So we've covered a lot of players on the roster, particularly starting, but is there any player that we have not mentioned so far in this conversation that you think is going to be crucial to your guys' success this year? Yeah, I like some of our newcomers a lot. Uh, we have uh, David Kovacic, who is from Slovenia, who's a very talented midfielder that will remind some of our players of some of the qualities of Marsadic had, and, and he's certainly someone that will will have an impact in the midfield this year. He'll play primarily as a six, but he might be as a 10 as well. Uh, Malcolm Johnston, a Canadian player who uh, comes out of the Vaughn Soccer Club, I've tracked for several years, is a very versatile uh, player that can feature on the front line and anywhere in the midfield. That's had a very good training camp. A couple of local kids, uh, both Isaac Nagobu and Justin Harris uh, from Baltimore Celtic Club, are getting better almost every day with every session. Uh, I think they're, they're going to have their moments at some point this season. Uh, and the, the other player that I think is in a position to have an impact for us is Mike Heitzman. Mike is um, in the best shape that he's ever been in. Mike is a goal scorer, and he's an incredible team guy. And he's shown moments this, this already in preseason that he's ready for uh, competing for some minutes on the field. So, But in addition to that, I, I like our team a lot. There are others, uh, too many to mention right now, that are competing hard every day. The culture and chemistry of this team is fantastic. It's uh, continued to grow from what we saw uh, last season. Um, obviously, we're, we've lost a lot of uh, talent, 
but I feel like we we have a lot of players ready for a bigger role. 27 years now here. You have a very diverse incoming kind of players coming into the team. What have you found over 27 years that you try to kind of build that chemistry because you have so many people coming from different areas yeah. of the country and just different nations in general. How do you, in your very short time with them before the season, try to build that camaraderie? Well, it starts with the recruiting process. When we recruit, we try to recruit what we consider a Maryland type of player. And it obviously always starts with having the talent to play here. But very quickly, we have to find that they have the right qualities. Um, uh, you know, kids who love the game of soccer, kids who have amb ambitions, uh, not only for their own self goals, but for team goals. You know, when we bring them in here, we have a program, a Winning Ways program, to develop them to be the best people they can be and to hold them to the highest standards of excellence on and off the field. And then we surround them with a lot of great teammates who push each other every day. Our practices are very competitive. Get down the field is competitive. Uh, we, I, I like to use the analogy of iron sharpens iron, where, you know, the, the, it's sort of internal competition, internal grind, uh, sharpens who they are as people and sharpens who they are as players. And uh, that's always been a key part of who we are. You know, we we talk about building champions and pursuing championships. We want to recruit good kids and make them live and become champions. And in the process, as a team, we can have a chance to compete for championships. So we've talked a lot about the players and the team, but obviously the schedule is just as important of a part of a preview. You have a lot of home games this year. They weren't all supposed to be home yeah. games, but you've moved a few just by different circumstances to, to being home games. How important is it as defending national champions to come and play at Ludwig in front of the crew, in front of that fan base? Well, um, uh, besides being uh, the reigning national champion to come and play there, I'm, I'm so excited that we have new lights coming to Ludwig Field. Um, that's been one of my frustrations for many, many years is uh, the quality of our lighting. Um, we have new lights, and I think all of our fans are going to be so excited. Uh, not broadcasters only, as well. Broadcasters <laughs> as well. Uh, I think it's going to be amazing. So I think that is going to be a, a, an additional piece of excitement uh, for Ludwig Field this year. But, you know, we always bring great teams to come play us here. Obviously, we, our schedule, as, as you mentioned, has become a little bit more uh, home-heavy. That's probably because two of our Monday games were switched to Maryland, and those were not because of us. That was Georgetown asked us to switch the game here so it can be broadcast on FS1. Uh, they don't have lights, speaking of lights. Um, so we'll go there for the next two years to play them. And then uh, our game at uh, – Talent Energy Stadium against Villanova on a Monday night. There were some issues with uh, the facility on that night, so they asked to come here. So we said, okay. So, But having said that, we, you know, the teams that we have coming here, obviously uh, we opened up with a really good South Florida team, a team I think is going to be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, my very first assistant, Bob Uthorn, in 1993 is the head coach there. So there's a little bit of a, of a cool story there. But then, you know, having teams like Akron here and – and then Indiana later in the year and a really good Fullerton team uh, who I also think is going to be an NCAA uh, tournament team capable of a deep run. So we have some really, really good teams in addition to all the Big Ten and uh, you know, the Georgetowns and of the world. And, and, and I love that. I love, I love the competitive part of it. I love you know, measuring ourselves and getting better and stronger through it. And I, I think our fans will be in for a treat. And I don't think we'll have a chance to chat with you before the game at Audi Field. We talked about the home opener, but then Maryland versus Virginia in the district. 
you and I have talked about how big that yeah. is for soccer in the area. What do you want that game to become for soccer in the DMV? Well, I'd like that game to mirror the Hopkins-Maryland lacrosse game. Um, I, I, I think it is the greatest rivalry in college soccer, and there's, there's really nothing else like it. And I think we've lost a little bit of that in the last four or five years when we didn't play each other when we moved to the Big Ten. So I, I've reached out and helped create this game at Audi Field. I would love this game to continue. Um, I have visions of one day playing in front of 20,000 people at Audi Field. I know we, we're maybe a few years away from, from doing that, but uh, if, if you look at the history of the college programs, um, Virginia and Maryland are part of the Mount Rushmore of college soccer, and we're also two of the programs that have played soccer the longest. Um, so I, I think it's a game that uh, uh, I'm hoping this community starts to really embrace uh, and look forward to. I know we don't, we're not getting as much of the marketing buzz that we need to, but hopefully people will, uh, will, will pack it um, uh, come September 2nd. Just to finish things out, what is one thing you want all Maryland soccer fans to know about your team for 2019? Oh, I think uh, I think they're going to represent the best of Maryland soccer. I think uh, last year we, we sort of got our identity back, that we're a team that hates not having the ball and that we're willing to work extremely hard to, uh, to get it back uh, and to be a team that is connected defensively, a team that tactically understands how to work together but also a team that wants to attack i know last year we couldn't score early on but what people don't realize is even though that we didn't allow a single goal against in the last five games last year we scored in 11 straight games and the only game we scored in a penalty was was the akron game in the final so so we we sort of got our attacking mojo back too and that's maryland soccer you know we defend relentlessly and we attack ruthlessly and that's what i want this team to do this year coach thank you so much for your time i appreciate you being here okay great to be with you thanks you're listening to the ludwig lowdown with brendan hartlove and joe malfa so we'd like to thank sasha sarovsky again for sitting down with us to be on the podcast and you'll hear from him a few more times throughout the season we'll check in with him multiple points to discuss lots of different things surrounding the team and the program but like thank coach once again so we kind of talked about what he saw being the expectations for the season and the way he sees the team but now briefly we'll kind of touch on what we think and I'll go first if you don't mind I think it's well I guess do whatever you want (laughs) you already started saying it (laughs) well I think it's kind of going to be similar to last season I think it will take a few games for the team to find their groove especially considering you have a lot of early tests right off the bat I mean we've talked about it several times you Start right off with USF, but then you have Virginia, UCLA, and Akron, which are three perennial really powerhouses when you when you get down to it. So you have a lot of new faces coming to the team. It always takes some time to gel and build those relationships between center backs and midfielders and forwards and get everyone on the same page. But it's kind of going to be baptism by fire for a lot of these players and a lot of these new faces playing in different roles. So I think that it might take a little bit to kind of get their footing, and build those relationships. But I think once they do, they're going to be able to go on and have a very successful season. You're going to have a lot of tough competition in the Big Ten. We've seen the conference get better and better every year. Three of the four teams in the College Cup last year were teams of the Big Ten. And so that is increased competition year in, year out. And so you have a very difficult non-conference schedule, but then as soon as you get into Big Ten play as well, really every game matters at that point. So I see them 
getting into the postseason as well, and I think they could make a run. You heard Sasha say the only thing he has not done in his career here is make it back to the College Cup the year after winning a title. And so I would not count this team out of doing it, but there's a lot of work that has to go in before that. I think to go on record and say this team is going to make the College Cup, this team isn't, it's just completely futile because are way too if early you predictions. Go, yeah, if you go back to 2016, look, this team was eight, ended up 18-1-2, and two, and their only loss came, I'm sorry to bring this up, Don't, but like it, it was the game against Providence in which they led 4-1 to one with 30 minutes to go. Who's Providence? We've well, never played Providence. What's a Providence? I don't remember that game. <laughs> that game never happened, Joe. But that was, they were 18-0-2 before that. They hadn't lost in like, was it like a calendar year or something like that? Yeah. It, was a, it was a long time. And then you go even the following year, and again, they didn't lose until near the end of the season at home against Georgetown, ended up being bounced early by Albany in the tournament. So you've got those two teams who were great. If you would have told me when I started my time here that a Maryland team would win the College Cup. Now, granted, I couldn't see three years in the future and know what last year's team looked like, but if you were to just give me a blind resume, last year's team or my freshman and sophomore year, so 2016, 2017, there's no shot I would have said last year's team would have been the one to lift the trophy. It would have obviously been one of those first two years, Gordon Wilde, Eric Williams, and all those yeah. guys, Alex Cornelia at the back, all those guys. But it was last year's team that did it. So I, I think it's tough to say, yeah, they're going to be back. Yeah, they're going to win it, whatever. But what I can say is I think this year's team in the regular season is going to look a lot more like last year's team that finished overall 13-6-4. and four. That was at the end of Big Ten tournament play. Uh, they were, is my math right? One, two, three, four, five. They were what eight? We were journalism majors. Yeah, not, they were what eight, six, math. and four heading into the tournament. I think so. Something like that. It's gonna be. It's gonna look a lot more like that than it's going to be yeah. the eighteen one and two team. Yes. And I think that's okay. And I think after last year, the last thing fans should do this year is panic if the team is you know oh two and two. And haven't scored in 400 minutes. Because, honestly, I think goals are going to be a big-time struggle again this year. Mm-hmm. I- unless they steal a couple with the press and this and that. Got a new guy coming into the number 10 role. Up top, you don't really have a guy like Elney who you can rely on to give you a big goal in a big moment. Mm-hmm. You don't have what you had a couple years ago with Gordon Wild. So, they're, you know, Matzalevich will, will be solid. Padilla, Gielen, Hervé, all those guys are going to contribute something. But goals aren't going to be easy to come by. And so my one thing is expectations-wise, don't panic if it's a slow start because it will pick up again in the same way it did last year because the common denominator in all this is Sasho. And if he sees struggles early on, he will pivot to another formation in the same way that he pivoted to the double pivot last year. Uh, Pivot, pivot, pivot. Thank you, Um, Ross. (laughs) He will do that again this year. And he could coach, I think, a team of eighth graders to like a college cup run, honestly. (laughs) So uh, as long as he's in charge, even if they start slow, which I think they will again, honestly, they will figure it out. So I think they will make the tournament. I think they might make a run at it. Probably going to be a slow start, and they'll pick it up again. It is almost going to be a carbon copy of last season, in my opinion. Whether or not they duplicate the end result, it's completely shot in the dark. You, you have no idea because, again, the team that was 18-0-2 with a three-goal lead with 20 minutes left against Providence didn't lift the trophy. And this team last year did. So as far as the end result, we'll see. But it's going to almost look like it did last year. So our next segment that we're going to try to continue throughout the season is pro Terps or Terps playing in the professional leagues because when you get down to it, the tradition and history of this program producing top talent at the next level goes on and on and on. Maryland, out of any school in the nation, currently has the most alums on active MLS rosters. 
active players on MLS rosters right now. And so we're going to get into a lot more of the players uh, as the season goes on. Maybe try to do each player almost, but for the sake of time and for the sake of this being the first episode, we want to highlight some of the guys that are doing some big things at the next stage. So Joe has picked one and I have picked one. They just so happen to have been roommates for Mm -hmm. the Columbus crew and practically brothers in a sense. So my player is Zach Steffen, who I can't imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you don't know who Zach Steffen is. He is now the number one goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team. He played for Maryland for many years, went over and joined SC Freiburg in Germany, never broke into the first team, came back to America, played for the Columbus crew, one of, if not the best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer in his time here. This past summer was signed by Manchester City, He's now been loaned to Fortuna Dusseldorf in the Bundesliga, and that is where he is currently playing. So it was a big sum of money that Manchester City paid for him. However, not to get into the details too much, but you need a work permit to play in the Premier League and have a certain number of international appearances, yada, yada, yada. Zach Steffen did not qualify for that, so he's been loaned to the Bundesliga to get minutes there. And he's playing for a Fortuna Dusseldorf team that is competitive and is not really a pushover in the Bundesliga. His first appearance, he played very, very well was man of the match made Bundesliga team of the week and so it's going to be very exciting to kind of watch him over the course of the season American soccer fans have had their eyes on the Bundesliga and rightfully so because you've had players like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney all them coming through there you now have Zach Steffen playing at a very high level there as well and he's had some ups and downs in his first few weeks there but he looks to be their number one starting goalkeeper for this season and I think that if you're looking for a team to follow in the Bundesliga and you're a Terp fan Fortuna Dusseldorf may be the way to go. And I think it was honestly a best case scenario getting loaned because with the current situation, he probably wouldn't have played much at yeah. all this season at Man City. And Ederson. to be honest, if you're an outfield player like Pulisic, you might maybe want to be against better competition in the Premier League. But as a keeper, you need minutes. You need minutes and you need people peppering shots yes. at you. So <laughs> if he's out there playing against RB Leipzig and Bayern Munich and all those teams, I'd rather him be there, play 90, than like maybe start a cup match in the middle of the week for yeah. Man City here and there. So rainy night in Stoke. Exactly. Kind of yeah. So it's better to be where he is, and I'm I'm glad to see where he is. My player now, his roommate from Columbus, mm-hmm. still in Columbus, not anywhere else, and the older brother of a current Terrapin, current yes. Terrapin captain, Alex Cornelli. You might know the name. We talked about Eli Cornelli. Same family, older brother. He has played in ten games this season for the Columbus Crew. Started eight of them. So he's kind of starting to become a more of a, a regular, consistent starter in their lineup. After only getting five appearances for them in 2018, spent most of that time. Uh, in the lower division, so it's good to see him back out there. I got to see him live, actually, on July 27th. I'm from the New York, New Jersey area. I was at Red Bull Arena. Columbus came into town, and after having not won a road game in, like, 10 tries, they came in and they won 3-2, to two, and he played a really good game at the back. He had to deal with a lot, dealt with it well. Bradley Wright Phillips came into the match, I think, at about the 60-minute mark, and he shut him down any time that he came his way, and he's done a really good job, at least in the games that I've watched, of continuing to improve. Is he a guy who's near the national team consideration like a Diamond Pine or something? No, but he is a very solid MLS player right now. And from what we've seen, like he, he's got the potential to develop and continue to grow and, and be better. He, he's got the size. He's got the vision when he has the ball. He's got it all, and it's just a matter of putting it together, and he slowly seems to be doing so with Columbus this year. So as our last brief segment as Maryland goes into their home opener and season opener tomorrow night, at 8 o'clock against USF. 
I'm going to give you what I believe the expected lineup will be, and then you can take that with a grain of salt. And then you can tune in at 8 o'clock for the game live on WMUC Sports Radio. You can get that link on our social media and our website. So the expected lineup for me in goal, I think it'll be Russell Shealy, although I do see Nicholas Newman getting in possibly for the second half. Left back will be Matt DeRosa. Left center back, Johannes Bergman. Right center back, Brett St. Martin. Right back, Ben DeRosa. The two holding midfielders I see starting as Nick Richardson and Eli Cronalli. Ahead of them will be Luke Brown playing in the creative number 10 role. I see William James Hervé on the left side looking to have a very successful sophomore year. And then Brian Padilla, who missed a lot of last season with injuries, coming back, looked very sharp in the spring. I see him playing on the right wing. And up top will be Eric Matzalevich. Now, some guys you'll see get in. We talked about David Kovacic getting into that midfield as well. You'll see Justin Gielan rotating with Eric Matzalevich. Up top is the striker. He'll also get some minutes on the right wing, not having Paul Bin in there. And then I think you can see maybe some Malcolm Johnson, some some other players getting some minutes. But that is the core group that we see going into the home And opener. I think I pretty much agree with you on all those. The only two potential tweaks, if anything, if Sasho has a plan of giving the keepers a half each, maybe it's flipped, but Who that's knows? it. Yeah. And then as far as going forward, I think early on he might start Gielan over Padilla, but like it's going to be interchangeable going forward. I think he might just go with the fact that Gielan is a harder worker, press the team out the, out the gates. But again, either way, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, maybe not for the starting lineup, but as the game goes along, very curious to watch his rotation in the middle with Kovacic and Brown and Cronalli because if Brown isn't quite grasping it yet, at the same time that these games are your precursors to the bigger ones coming up, you also still got to win this game and make sure that you're 1-0 after Thursday night. And if Kovacic gives you a better chance, if Brown is struggling, you've got to do it. So those are the things that I'm looking out for. But outside of that, as far as a preview, I have no idea. Nobody has any idea. We haven't seen USF yet. That's the we haven't even seen Maryland season. yet. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I mean, I'm sure these are going to be more comprehensive going forward as far as opponent, as far as game previews because we'll have seen Maryland mm-hmm. and we'll know more about the other team. But it's really just complete shot in the dark for tomorrow. We don't know what he's going to do with the lineup. We don't know what USF is going to look like. But it's going to be an exciting time. And Ludwig... Can I say our, our the name of our stadium and part of the name of our podcast yeah. correctly? Let's try again. Ludwig is going to be packed, and it's going to be loud. Voted the best stadium in college soccer this year, and it's going to be a fun time. So I think that will do it for the first episode of the Ludwig Lowdown. You want me to say Lowdown. it, Ludwig? Because I couldn't say it before. There you go. The Ludwig Lowdown. Yes. There we go. So we appreciate you sticking with us and hearing us ramble on about Maryland soccer. Again, like we said, this is the first time we've ever done something like this, so we don't have a clear structure to it yet. That's something we're working on. We would love to have your guys' feedback. We apologize if it was a little disjointed at times, but there's a lot of storylines going into the season, a lot of things to talk about. We're like and the team. They started off slow last year. They built up the <laughs> national champs. We're starting off slow in this first one, exactly. disjointed, but we'll be national champs by the end of this we season. We haven't peaked yet. So <laughs> that will do it for us here in the studio. Joe, where can people find you on Twitter? At MalfaJ98. And that's Malfa with an F because I know a lot of people sometimes spell it with a PH. So let's just make that clear. M-A-L-F-A-J, the number 98. And then I myself am at bhartlove on Twitter, and you can obviously follow our station at WMUC Sports, our website, WMUCSports.net, and you can listen to the game coming up tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on our Mixler channel. That's mixlr.com slash Sports one So, Joe, thank you very much for your time here. We'd like to thank the Maryland men's soccer team as well, including head coach Sasha Sorowski for sitting down with us on this podcast. And we'd like to thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ludwig Lowdown on WMUC Sports Radio, your Terps, your station. 
Thanks for listening to the Ludwig Lowdown. We hope to have you right back here for the next edition with your hosts, Brendan Hartlove and Joe Malfa. Thanks, everybody, and go Terps! Go Terps!